Ski, shoot, repeat. Welcome to Biathlon Backstories. Welcome to this episode of Ski, Shoot, Repeat and the third of our series of biathlon backstories where we look back to specific races in biathlon history and give you a flavour of the cultural, political and sporting zeitgeist of the time. I'm Lizzie Boyle and in these biathlon backstories I'll be watching footage of races online and will encourage you to do the same. Check skishootrepeat.podbean.com or at skishootrepeat on Twitter for links to the race videos. And then you can recreate the world of that time and share your thoughts on the racing too. The video that accompanies this episode can be found at tinyurl.com slash biathlon1979. That's tinyurl, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L dot com slash biathlon1979. Previously in Biathlon Backstories, we went back to 1958 and the first ever Biathlon World Championships, dominated by Sweden. Last time we found ourselves in 2002, watching a great example of the pursuit race with some of the finest female biathletes of the 90s and noughts. This episode, we're going back in time again, this time to 1979, and the World Championships held in Ruppolding in Bavaria, Germany. My recommendation this time listen to the next section of this podcast which sets the scene for the race. Then you can either go and watch the video and come back for the discussion or you can watch the video whilst listening to this podcast. The video itself doesn't have commentary although it does have some rather interesting music choices and it's also not just a video of a race but rather a behind the scenes look at a whole world championships event but more of that later. First let's go back in biathlon time to January 1979. Some years are eventful. They have big epic moments that seem to stamp their mark on their decade or their era. Some years just seem quite quiet by comparison. As 1978 turned to 1979, it might just have been one of those quiet moments. Some things were getting resolved and some things were just starting to happen. Spain finally broke free from military dictatorship and embraced a democratic constitution. The Camp David Accords were signed, and leaders in the Middle East received the Nobel Peace Prize for their efforts. Just a few weeks before our video, the US and China established full diplomatic relations. Pope John Paul I took office, and not long after, Pope John Paul II took over from him. There are protests in Iran, but these haven't spilled over into the wider hostage crises that sparked international incidents. War is starting to brew in Cambodia, and the next few months will see uprisings and violence in Iran, Uganda, El Salvador and Nepal. But for now, things feel relatively calm. That said, we're in a Cold War world. Europe is divided into East and West, and as we head to Bavaria for the biathlon, we'll be reminded of some of the differences and divisions that existed at the time. We're in a nuclear world, but President Jimmy Carter is pushing for peace and the de-escalation of the race for more ways to destroy each other. Social issues are moving front and centre, 
as the push for greater equality and recognition continues. Women in Italy can now have abortions legally, and San Francisco in the US has elected its first female mayor. Gay rights protests have expanded in the US and Australia, in part because some US states have sought to restrict rights. Some things really don't seem to change. Science is doing some interesting things. Synthetic insulin is now available, transforming the management of diabetes, whilst the first test tube baby in the world has recently been born. The last few months also saw the launch of Space Invaders, and a lot of people wondering if computer games would ever catch on. Saturday Night Fever has taken the world by storm, so disco is everywhere as the first wave of punk burns itself out. And in January 1979, the Biathlon World Championships arrives in Rupolding. I've talked a bit about Rupolding in a previous episode, but just so you know where we are, we're in the very southeastern corner of Germany, nestled in the mountains by the Austrian border. As with so many mountain towns, Rupolding came to thrive with the arrival of the railways in the 1830s and a wave of tourists coming for health and leisure. Ski jumping, cross-country and later biathlon all became part of the fabric of the town. Rupolding is now a regular stop on the season-long World Cup circuit and has hosted multiple World Championships too. Our video takes us through the events of the World Championships and Junior World Championships of 1979. From what I can tell, it's a home video filmed by a West German, rather than anything for television, though it does have some lovely camera work and has been very nicely edited together. There's a focus on the local events and the West German biathletes rather than necessarily the story of each race, but it's very much a fan's eye experience of the events and gives you a great feel for the whole thing. So, as a reminder, the video for this episode can be found at tinyurl.com slash biathlon1979. If you're watching along, I'd suggest that you watch the first few minutes of the video up to about seven minutes and then pause. We find ourselves in the small town of Rupolding, with banners and flags welcoming people to the Biathlon World Championships. We go into the press centre and see the hustle and bustle of the modern media, 1979 style. Here we have someone from the USA team checking in, and a startled man in an amazing sweater doing paperwork. It's all go in amazing knitwear. I love the handwritten sign for the WC. Obviously somebody has been asked that question a lot and was getting fed up. There's some important typing going on and the phones are on fire. Time for a coffee break for the organisers though. Let's just take a moment to reflect on the scale of media and broadcasting operation that would be in place now. At 2 minutes 34 in the video, the scene shifts to what looks like an opening ceremony. We have some of the features that were first pioneered by Walt Disney and his crew at the 1960 Olympiad. Athletes grouped by team, a central performance, some military accompaniment, a parade of local children and adults in local costume. We get a tantalising glimpse of some dancing before the raising of the flag and the athletes parading around the arena. At 4 minutes 34 it's time for some racing. Almost. We head out to the tracks and see the organising committee and the marching band getting all set for the big day. At this point, about five minutes in, it's a shame there's no original sound, as it would have been great to hear the actual umpa. There's a man in Adidas tracksuit pointing at things. My guess is that he's in charge and is the guy who made the sign about the WC. More pointing, 
and now some military cannons waiting to be fired by some people who really don't seem to be sure about what to do. Above, an aerial display. A hang glider swoops by. This gets quite a lot of coverage, so it was obviously pretty cool for 1979. Six minutes 30, and the band strikes up again. We get our first sight of some biathletes. If you're watching along, this is a good time to pause so we can introduce the racing and some of the key athletes to watch. The first senior race is the individual, a race over 20 kilometers with four shoots. Remember, this is the era when all skiing was classical style and when penalties for missed shots were assessed and added at the end of the race. There's no automated targets yet and definitely no TV captions. So what follows is pieced together from the resources available at biathlon.com.ua and on the IBU website. Among the early starters at number one, we see Andy Brady of Australia. We get a quick look at him at around 6.40 in the video, sporting a fine moustache but looking a little nervous. We have a full team from Australia, as well as teams from the UK, Canada, Spain, and the countries we've come to expect, the Soviets, the two Germanys, the Scandinavians, Austrians, Swiss, and so on. The internet is giving me nothing about Andy Brady of Australia, but I'll break your hearts now. It didn't go well for him. With 12 misses on the range and a lack of ski speed, leaving him 82nd of the 82 starters. Wherever life took you, Andy Brady, I hope you had the best time. A quick note on stats while I'm here. Whilst it's great to have web resources to identify biathletes and start numbers, the stats aren't always wonderful. The biathlete in next to last place in this race apparently missed 24 shots, which is quite something in a 20-shot race. Anyway, who else do we have? Among the early starters at number four is Klaus Siebert of the all-powerful East German team. He's 24 years old and a consistent starter in the East German relay squad. He's also picked up several victories in the individual discipline to this point in his career, based on phenomenal shooting skills. Siebert has some strong teammates. Manfred Beer is out before him in number two. Frank Ulrich is number 47, though he's more of a sprint specialist. Whilst Eberhard Roche in eight, number 83 is another solid performer. Their main competition is likely to come from the Finns. Heike Ikela wearing number 38 and Raimo Sapanen number 73. You can also never rule out the Soviet biathletes. The veteran Alexander Tikhonov, wearing number 49, is in his mid-30s by this point, but has won medals in five previous World Championship individual races. Perhaps his best days are behind him, and it's his younger colleagues who we should look out for, like Vladimir Alikin in his first World Championships, wearing 77, or Vladimir Barnashov in 25. Sigliv Johansson is leading the Norwegian threat, aged 30 now, and a silver medalist in this event two years previously, so he can't be ruled out. Let's watch some racing. We get a good look in the video at number 76, Alois Kanemuller of West Germany. He'll have a decent day shooting clear and finishing 12th. Note that it takes time for his shoot to happen, and also that there's another teammate shooting prone whilst Kanemuller shoots in the standing position. This is probably due to their starting order, but now we would see a definite separation of lanes between the prone and the standing shoot disciplines. Unfortunately, that's about all we get to see of the race, so I recommend pausing at eight minutes if you're watching along so I can tell you what happened. 
Among those early starters, Manfred Beer made good progress, but missed two in the final shoot, three in total, and dropped out of the top ten. His teammate, Klaus Siebert, one of the hot favourites, set his stall out at number four. He shot 19 out of 20, missing only in the first standing shoot, and came in with a fast time of one hour, seven minutes and 40 seconds. He then had a long and nervous wait as competitors with later start numbers tried to catch his time. Alfred Ader of Austria, wearing bib 23, was going brilliantly until he missed two on the final shoot. And yes, Alfred Ader is the father of current biathlete Simon Ader. Starting at 38, Finland's Heike Ikela was a strong contender, but he missed two shots and finished three minutes off Siebert's time. And now the tension really ramps up, with Frank Ulrich, Alexander Tikhanov, Jaromir Simunek of Czechoslovakia and Sigliv Johansson of Norway all on, on the tracks at the same time. It was Tikhanov who came closest, shooting 18 out of 20, but skiing well to finish 1 minute 45 behind Siebert. Johansson shot 19 out of 20, but couldn't match Tikhanov's speed, despite that extra miss, coming in third. Frank Ulrich came in fourth, ahead of the clean-shooting Raimo Sepanan of Finland and Simonek of Czechoslovakia. Klaus Siebert, the winner, retired from competition after the 1980 Olympics and later moved into coaching, working with the German, Chinese and Belarusian squads. He lived and breathed biathlon for 45 years, continuing to watch his Belarusian team on TV whilst ill with cancer in the early 2010s. Sadly, the cancer persisted and Siebert died in 2016. There's not much information online about Sigliv Johansson, our bronze medalist. And there's actually too much information about our silver medalist, Alexander Tikhanov, which involves tales of bribery, corruption, conspiracy to murder and the grubby world of Russian politics. But we'll set that to one side right now. Back to the video at about eight minutes and we get some aerial shots, probably from the roof of a building or halfway up a tree, showing us some of the tracks snaking through root holding. At 8.07, we get a caption for the Junior World Championship 15km individual race. These days, the Junior Worlds are a separate event, with a huge amount of participation and coverage across the world. Back then, they ran parallel to the senior event. Unfortunately, I can't find any start information or data about the Junior race, so I have no idea who won. I'm guessing that number 15 of West Germany didn't too, do too badly, but we'll have to rely on someone else's memory to figure that out for me. It's a 1-2 for the East Germans, though I don't know any names. We then have some ill-advised photo opportunities, with a local musician pointing a rifle towards a camera. A sweet crossover of Bavarian music and East German shooting and skiing prowess, and then a very jolly podium ceremony. On to the 31st of January and the sprint races. Again, my focus will be on the main race rather than the juniors, but let's see what we find. Before we start the video, some of the competitors. Everyone will be looking out for Frank Ulrich of East Germany. Ulrich grew up in a biathlon family and was competing in the East German Children's Championships from the tender age of, age of nine. He was part of the East German national relay team by the time he was 18, winning bronze medals in the 1976 Winter Olympics and the 1977 World Championships. In 1978, he really stamped his authority on the sport with three World Cup victories and three World Championship medals. He's just turned 21 and is definitely one to watch. 
Ulrich's main competitors are his compatriots, Klaus Siebert, who won the individual, and Eberhard Roche, Finland's Heike Ikela, and a really strong group from the Soviet Union, including Tikhonov and Barnashov. Another one to watch is Odd Leerhaus of Norway. Only 22 years old, he broke onto the scene two years previously with two goals at the World Junior Championships. In his rookie senior year, he won a gold in the World Championship individual race and a relay bronze. Starting the video at about 11.30, we see the tracks being cleared, a small but gathering crowd, a high-tech timing system, and the departure on the tracks of number seven, Antonio Moraga of Chile. He has a tough time on the range, missing six of 10, and finishing down in 81st of 84 starters. But it's awesome to see some film footage of him. Next up at number eight is one of the Soviet contenders, Vladimir Ilikin. We see him getting out of the start gate and into his classic glide pretty quickly. Number 19 is Hans Estner of West Germany, a home favorite who will finish in a respectable 26th place. Coming into the range wearing 52 is Alois Kanemuller. We saw him in the clip of the individual race, so now I'm wondering if this video originates with the Kanemuller family. Look at the depth of the snow coming into the range though. He's barely able to get his skis through it. At 13 minutes, we have some crowd footage. It looks properly cold. There is so much snow coming down. We also get to see the coaches with their scopes. And it's interesting that these compact telescopes were already part of the scene back in the 70s. It's delightful also to see a coach smoking a pipe. Our cameraman is now enjoying taking pictures of people covered in snow until we get another look at Alois Kanemuller coming in for his standing shoot. Look just to the right of the frame and you'll see the red suit of Frank Ulrich wearing 54. He's having a great race and has just finished shooting 10 out of 10 and now is heading home. We have some slight comedy action on the tracks between two skiers that I can't identify. The snow is so deep and choppy that neither of them makes much progress and they almost come to grief. And at 14.42 we see our podium. As most pundits probably expected, Frank Ulrich, the sprint specialist, would not be beaten, especially not after a perfect shoot. The young Norwegian Odd Leerhaus came a great second. I'm not sure of the stats, but the website I use suggests that he missed three shots and only finished 53 seconds behind, which would mean he was superhuman across the snow. And in third place, it's an unexpected podium for Luigi Weiss of Italy more on him in a moment. By way of coincidence, after Andy Brady's last place in the individual event, today's Australian to note is Barry Field, who also finished last, apparently 28 minutes behind the winner. Luckily, Barry wasn't deterred from biathlon, and he went on to become the national coaching director of the Australian Biathlon Association. More on our podium sitters, though. Frank Ulrich had a phenomenal career picking up 14 World Championship medals, nine of them gold, 17 World Cup victories, and four Olympic medals in just seven years. He retired at the age of just 26. His wife fell ill and he wanted time, to look, time out to look after her. His coaches said no. In a 2006 interview, Ulrich said, I couldn't help her anymore and blamed myself insanely. At that time, I lost faith in the sporting system and said, I'll quit. Later, he came back to the sport as a trainer for the East German and then the Unified German national team, with a focus on his favourite and strongest discipline, the sprint. 
In that same 2006 interview, he reflected on what it was like to go through reunification and to see a sport become unified. He said, In the beginning, after unification, the system was 100% DDR. Later, that mixed, and today it's all intertwined. That's the best we could do, because neither system could lead to success on its own. It is fascinating for me to have gotten to know both and to deal with them. He also spoke about the experience of seeing his Stasi secret police file and engaging with people who he knew had spied on him. It's a fascinating interview, and you can find the link in the transcript for this episode. More recently... Frank Ulrich has turned to Social Democrat politics and in 2021 was elected a m- member of the Bundestag. Silver medalist Odd Lehus continued competing for a few more years, with successes mostly coming as part of the Norwegian relay team. He stayed in the sport after retirement, coaching first the Canadian team and then the Norwegian women's team from 2002 to 2006, an era which saw Liv Greta Skelbred winning multiple world titles under his watch. Bronze medalist Luigi Weiss was an outsider, a member of the Italian State Police Sporting Unit, who had been a strong national competitor in both biathlon and ski mountaineering. Prior to Rupolding, he had some top 10 finishes, but generally was ranked in the 20s or 30s. He was the first Italian to win a biathlon world championship medal and was consistently ranked in the top three in Italy throughout his career. Amidst the so-called years of lead of political and social unrest in Italy, There were significant cuts to sports funding within the police, as you'd imagine, which means that Weiss's medal is seen with particular pride. At 15 minutes 13 in the video, we head into another junior race, a relay, and our camera again focuses on the local West German team. There's a good crowd at the range today, and we get a bit of a view of the targets they're aiming at. They're not the five in a row targets that we're used to now, but a square of four with one target in the middle. Now, at 17 minutes 30 or so, there's some excitement mounting as the crowds run around the track to follow their favourites. Someone in red wins, it's probably the East Germans, ahead of the darker suits of the Soviets in second. The West Germans in green come in fourth by the look of it. I don't want to disregard the junior world. There are some other videos that I've linked to in the transcript which tell me that the Soviet Union and East Germany took the honours in all the various races. After the junior podium, we come to our closing race of the championships. The relay. The great and the good of Rupolding are out today, including many involved with the ski club who have become iconic names of the sport. At about 19 minutes 35 in the video, the race starts. There's obviously a charge of fans from the big start to the range or other viewing spots around the circuit. Our camera picks out the West Germans in their green, but also look out for the red suits of East Germany in number 9, the darker Soviet suits in number 14, and the blue and white of Finland in number 7. Oh, and for completeness, Australia are wearing number one. The East German squad of Manfred Beer, Eberhard Roche, and gold medalist Klaus Siebert and Frank Ulrich proved unstoppable, winning by just shy of two minutes from Finland, who will have been pleased with their result. The Finnish team of Simo Hallinen, Erki Antela, Raimo Sepanen, and Heike Ikala was possibly a high watermark for Finnish biathlon. Bronze went to the Russian squad of Alikin, Barnashov, Kruglov and the veteran Tikhonov. There are some fun sled-based celebrations and our man with his accordion appears once again. That's it for the racing, so we move to a rather atmospheric and slightly creepy looking closing ceremony. There's some sort of flag and fire-based ritual, thankfully interspersed with pictures of biathletes to reassure me that it's still part of the same event. One last thing. 
The last minute of the video can be our one last thing this episode. It's the Hohe Besuch, or High Visit, which I'm taking to be some dignitaries and VIPs coming to see the World Championships in action. There are a lot of handshakes, men in suits walking in the snow. It almost looks more like a mafia meet-up than a VIP visit, but the spectators seem to know who everyone is. There are some unconvincing attempts at using the rifles, and the film fades out before we see how badly it all ends. Thank you for listening. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with links to all sorts of background information, at skishootrepeat.podbean.com. Please do follow us on Twitter at skishootrepeat, where you'll find general chat about biathlon, including in the off-season, um, and links to previous episodes. Please do get in touch to tell me what's right and what's wrong. I've said before, this podcast is built more on love than on knowledge, so I expect to get fact-checked. I'd also love to hear from anybody involved with Rupolding, um, Rupolding Ski Club, or the World Junior Championships in 1979, to let me know who some of those people might well have been. Also, let me know what you'd like to hear about in future episodes. If there's a particular biathlon backstory that you would like to hear, just drop me a line. Thanks for listening to Ski Shoot Repeat. I've been Dizzy Boyle.